And what Spectrum Inclusion does is I go to schools, I go to colleges, I go to churches, and I do autism workshops on employment. And I teach young adults with autism how to gain those skills, how to um, be able to develop their special interests in the employment opportunities. What I also do with Spectrum Inclusion is I write articles that of young adults who are gainfully employed and share ways that people on the spectrum can learn from those people and develop those same skills. Welcome to Adulting on the Spectrum. In this podcast, we want to highlight the real voices of autistic adults, not just inspirational stories, but people like us talking about their day-to-day life. Basically, we want to give a voice to a variety of autistic people. I'm Eileen Lam, an autistic author and photographer, and I co-host this podcast with Andrew Camero. Hey, Andrew. Hey, Eileen. I'm Andrew Camaro, autistic entrepreneur, software engineer, co-host of this podcast, and the better swing dancer out of Between Me and Eileen. Today, our guest is Ron Sanderson. Ron works full-time in the medical field and is a professor of theology at Destiny School of Ministry. He's an advisory board member of Art of Autism and the L Center of Excellence. Sanderson has a Master of Divinity from Oral Roberts University and is the author of A Parent's Guide to Autism Practical Advice. He is founder of Spectrum Inclusion, which empowers young adults with autism for employment. Ron and his wife, Kristen, reside in Rochester Hills, Michigan. Fun fact, they have the most expensive car insurance in the country with their daughter, Michaela. Welcome. Thank you for joining. Oh, thanks so much for having me on your show today. And I know you've said that you have listened to our show before, which means that you probably remember um, that we like to ask each guest how they prefer to identify. Uh, So person with autism on the spectrum, autistic, Asperger's, do you have a preference? And if so, what is it? I use both. I use them for, um, so I'm not, especially in my writing, because it gets monotonous if you say a person with autism or autistic person too many times so I like to switch them up just to keep the kind of the flow going especially with writing because if you use just one all the time then people sometimes get tired of just seeing the one but I think both are equally important that is such a good reason yeah I love that because I write a lot and in my captions I'm always switching like on the spectrum autistic person with autism and yeah you're right it just you know it's very repetitive if you use the same terminology all the time so I love wait, wait 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 so both of you are autistic and don't like the same thing and being repetitive and prefer variety <laughs> well it's just that you know it's the <laughs> writing rule I know it's just that we like to follow a rule that's why the repetitive thing doesn't apply oh okay and see yeah. I have editors too with my books because they're traditionally published so I hear from them if I don't use a variety. So I get used to that. <laughs> yeah. That becomes a new pattern, especially after publishing three books and then with a fourth book that I've written, it's going to get published hopefully soon. Can you tell us about your diagnosis journey? So my um, 
diagnosis was in 1982. When I got diagnosed with autism, it was one in every 10,000 children. Now it's one in every 36 children. What led up to my diagnosis is that when I was entering kindergarten, my speech was so delayed that my brother Chuck would introduce me to people saying, you need to meet my brother Ron. I think he's from Norway. He'd have me talk. No one knew what I was saying. So he became an expert on Norwegian languages. And also when I was in kindergarten, my ability to interact with other ch children was very limited. So the school specialists wanted to label me emotionally impaired. And my mom said, it's not emotional, it's neurological. And during that time, when I was seven years old, she took me to Henry Ford Hospital and they diagnosed me with autism. Can you tell us a little bit more about, I know you talk a lot about employment too, so we're just jumping from, you know, seven to 17. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about spectrum inclusion, what that is and how it helps with autism employment? Yeah, so spectrum inclusion is a website and also an organization that helps people with autism get gainful employment. Currently in the United States, only 3% of people with autism are gainfully employed. Only 20% have a job. And what Spectrum Inclusion does is I go to schools, I go to colleges, I go to churches, and I do autism workshops on employment. And I teach young adults with autism how to gain those skills, how to um, be able to develop their special interests in the employment opportunities. When I also do with Spectrum Inclusion is I write articles that, of young adults who are gainfully employed and share ways that people on the spectrum can learn from those people and develop those same skills. And one of the other things I do is I mentor and coach many young adults with autism. After I do my presentations, I give my email out there and I get emails from people with questions related to their employment, related to their advocacy. And I send them articles I've written on those topics. And I also send them advice and help them kind of life coach with those. And then I have once a year, I give out two honey badger awards to young adults on the autism spectrum who are gainfully employed and have a unique entrepreneurship to them and are accomplishing amazing things while on the spectrum. People like Dellen was one of the winners this year and Grant Manair, who's an artist. So I share their story once I give them the award and then it helps um, young adults see that there's other people on the spectrum who um, are gainfully employed and have developed those skills in their own life. That's awesome. And before that, you got a degree in divinity. I mean, I had never heard of it before. Like, can you tell us about what it is and if it has anything to do with your work in the employment industry? So my, I have a master of divinity. It's the highest theological degree that you can get from a university before a PhD. And a master of divinity is 90 credit hours. You have to do a practicum and internship um, with a church. And it took me three years to get it. And I got mine from Oral Roberts University. And I use my master divinity to speak at churches. And I'm in the process tomorrow. I'll be, or Wednesday, I mean, I'm going to be meeting with the assemblies of God to get ordained. And almost every major denomination, their pastors have to have a master divinity 
to get ordained in there. So it's a religious degree, but it's the highest religious degree you can get before a PhD. Has faith played a role uh, with your autism? I mean, I'm assuming given autism is a part of you, I would say whether it's a stereotype or not, that most people I run into on the autism spectrum are not very religious. Uh, can you tell me? And But that's not always the case. And we've talked to quite a few, but can you talk more about that? Yeah, so faith is a big part of my life and also ministry. I have a unique gift. I have over 15,000 Bible verses memorized, word perfect. The only person I ever met in my whole life who had more verses memorized was Dr. Jack Van Impey. And in 2000, I mentored under Dr. Jack Van Impey while I was working on my Master of Divinity the summer before. And I speak at about 25 churches a year. I'm going to be the first Assemblies of God minister who will be licensed under their denomination. Right now, there's never been an Assemblies of God minister who was um, licensed or ordained. And almost all the denominations, there's very few people on the spectrum working as ministers. The main best known autistic minister is Dr. Omar Hardwick out of Georgia. And then for priest, it's Matthew um, Snyder, who's the most famous for um, the autistics who's on the, the priesthood. And both of them in their books, if you open up their books, there's endorsement for me in there. So it's very rare, an autistic minister. There's a few out there. I can fit on two hands how many ministers there are who are on the autism spectrum that I know of. There's probably a bunch who are undiagnosed, but who are actually diagnosed and actually share their diagnosis with being on the autism spectrum. You could fit them on two hands. So for the amount 5% of the population being on the autism spectrum, there should be more autistic people in ministry, but it's very rare, as you mentioned. I, I appreciate the uh, the additional clarification. I was actually going to question you about that when you said, yes, the ones who I know or who are public. Uh, quick follow-up to that question. Um, can you recite for us uh, number, remember this is an adult podcast too, so can you um, recite to us numbers 22, 21, please? 22, 21, that one I actually, I don't have it memorized yet. Oh, it, it's it's the ass saw the angel of the Lord. So, you know, belongs okay, to his yeah. ass. So, yes. So I could I, quote a better one on the angel or Psalms 34, 7, the angel order cramps around those who fear him, on those who trust his unfailing love. Psalms 91, 11 through 12, he commands the angels concern you to guide you in all their ways. They lift you up in your hand, so not strike your foot against the stone. So I have my verses not memorized by reference, but by subject. So if I get a subject, I can tell you everything on that subject. So that's how it's kind of unique, how I have the verses memorized. And there's 36,000 verses in the Bible, I only have 15,000 memorized. I have equivalent with the whole New Testament memorized. That's it. Well, I'm, I'm background Jewish, so definitely familiar with the Old Testament. And I definitely like looking yeah. for the most uh, inappropriate and strange Bible verses. So hence, I happen to know, um, yeah, yeah, Balaam's ass. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, so I one of the most inappropriate is Ezekiel 23, 17. 
and his genitals were like that of a donkey. I so won't even kind of... recite the story of what happened to Lot's wife before and after she turned assault on this podcast, but I think that one might win. Yeah. Yeah. Let, let, let's skip that one. So, to go back to things that I do know about. Which isn't much. I know about stage fright. So, I'm wondering if you ever get stage fright. Because you say you talk about, you talk at like 25 conferences a year, which seems like a lot. How do you handle yeah. stage fright if you do get it? So, the reason I don't get it is my main messages, I have about 10 main messages and I could do them in my sleep. And I actually picture myself before I do my presentation, I see myself up there doing the presentation. So I've spoken enough places where that stage fright goes away. The only time I felt nervous was 2017, Temple Grandin was sitting right front row when I was presenting at Metro Parent at Troy Marriott. So I felt nervous about having her be in the front row, but I wasn't afraid of the crowd because I was used to having 200 people in the crowd. The biggest crowd I ever spoke to was over 6,500 people at um, World Harvest Church, Pastor Rob Parsley's church. He has a son, Austin, on the autism spectrum. So I know my speeches well enough from presentations where I don't really get nervous anymore. That's really cool. And I wish I was like you because as much as I know my subjects and I know what I'm saying, as soon as I see the people, it's it's over. And I don't know how I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. I think like sunglasses, maybe, you know, but yeah. Yeah. And then sometimes the unexpected becomes the expected. I was doing a um sermon, God's got this in front of about thousand people at a large church, and then right in the middle of my sermon, one of the older ladies is walking down the aisles after using the restroom or going to use her cell phone and she trips and falls and I end up having to pause for a few seconds while the elders helped her up and got her um, the help she needed so sometimes you'll be speaking in front of a large audience and unexpected things will happen that are beyond your locus of control that's like hell for me if i can say that because i know you're religious but like yeah thinking about it it's just like i know i would laugh you know it's like a it's a nervous reaction you know seeing someone treat <laughs> yeah it's so funny and i know it's totally inappropriate and it would be like so difficult to like control it on stage so now i'm even more terrified thank you yeah so it sometimes that unexpected will happen yeah i mean i mean what would happen like think about it someone falls like an old lady which is really sad and you start laughing yeah. on stage what would people say about you you know yeah that's why you don't laugh you just pause and say um we're gonna wait a minute and then we'll get on with the message we have a little emergency or something like that i think is what i said yeah i mean that sounds like the right answer but what if your brain is just can do it and start laughing you know yeah that could happen with some people i've seen that happen no it was me that would definitely happen that's what i'm saying scary yeah. shit. <laughs> andrew what do you think about that about i mean i i don't so yeah anytime like i like last year when i gave a keynote 
I didn't even think about it until beforehand. And that just helped a lot. Um, you know, especially if it's something that you've spoken about, like Ron said, if he, you know, 10 times or a bunch of times, you know, you're just talking about one of your favorite subjects, that's pretty easy for like, you know, an autistic person to do for a short period. Um, so yeah, I just, uh, I like to just show up completely unprepared and, and kind of wing it. And then I can't really have anxiety beforehand. So seems to mostly work well. Yeah, that's kind of what I was going for. Yeah. What also you can do is this, is have your whole presentation on your PowerPoint. So then your PowerPoint photos remind you where you're at. And then there's yeah. three things you want in every message. You want a hook. That means you want people to look at your message. You have exactly one minute to draw the listener's attention or they're not going to pay attention. So you hook them in with a story or hook them into your topic. Then you got book. You got to have content that's going to, um, they're going to come away learning something. Then you got to have a took something they can apply their life. And if you have those three things, your message is going to be great. And then add a little humor to it and it's icing on the cake. So those are things I do to all my messages. The 250,000 people I've spoken live to, I've had those three things. Great tips. I and if you want to be an even better speaker, speak a lot in front of elementary school kids. Because if you don't have a hook, you don't have interesting stories, interesting photos, interest, you're going to have a bunch of lost kids. So you speak in front of 800 elementary school students and do that about 20 times, you'll message will all be engaging so moving back to employment a little bit what do you think is one thing employers can do to be more inclusive to those with autism so i think one thing people can do or employers is they can have people with autism come and speak to their company and their employees do lunch and learns with an autistic on neurodiversity in the workplace and that way people understand it also but, but what does that mean that, if you could be a little more specific yes yeah, so this is what it means is that the number one reason people with autism get fired is not that they're competent for this not competent for the job it's filtering they'll say something do something and people say that they're being racist or they're being sexist or they're being um anti-social and that common and that they're prejudiced because of that where really they don't mean that at all it's just their ability to filter or understand what's socially acceptable in a setting um and i think that's what you need with the neurodiversity in the workplace presentation during lunch and one of the things i bring out is stories of different inappropriate things people have said on the spectrum during work and they didn't mean it the way people took it. And they have difficulty actually filtering the truth and just let the truth come out and say what they think. There's a while back, um, I was on a one-to-one -one with an aggressive patient. When I got off, the next guy who was taking over was kind of feminine. And I said to a coworker, I said, as feminine as that guy is, that aggressive guy is going to probably beat the hell out of him. And I didn't mean it in a bad way. I just said what everybody else in that room was thinking and was afraid to tell. But with us on the spectrum, we just spew it out. And with me, 
being openly autistic, I can get away with a lot more that other people can't because people understand that I have difficulty filtering what I say. But if it was a new employee and they did that, they could be written up for um, saying something that was um, culturally or genderally biased. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. I mean, I feel like the most inappropriate things I've said in my life was really just like lack of understanding. And, you know, I didn't mean it in a bad way. And then yeah. once it's explained to me, like, I get it, but it just, it's hard for me to like control my thoughts and to not say everything that goes through my mind. And so sometimes like inappropriate things that most people would keep to themselves come out. Yeah, See, and like, I think even our joking, we do that more openly with being on the autism spectrum. Our jokes are what everyone else is thinking, but wouldn't say because they know they could get in trouble being um, anti this or anti that by the joke they're saying, but they don't mean it in that hurtful way. Exactly. Yep. So um, question for you. That's why yeah. you're here. Did your parents have any different approaches to prepare you for employment? Did they have the same approach? Like, how did your parents prepare you for employment? So my mom prepared me by helping me learn skills. She believed in autism refined, not cured. So she believed if she could help me learn skills like reading, writing. So she got me tutors to help me learn those skills. And my dad's approach was more, you throw them in the, deep in of the pool, they learned to swim. So with my dad, he had me mowing the lawn at age 10 for $10. At age 14, he had me working as a busboy and dishwasher at Bill Knapps. And by early employment, it helped me have confidence to go and get a job and know how, and my mom helped me develop those skills of reading, writing, interpersonal skills, being able to use art, and I think those two approaches kind of worked well together and helped me be gainfully employed. And my whole life, basically, I've been employed. I've been gainfully employed now. It'll be 16 years in March working at the same hospital, um, Havenwick, which I've been at in March. It'll be 16 years. And I've been at Destiny's School of Ministry now for 20 years and speaking live since 2015 and then i published my first book in 2016 and i have my fourth book and hopefully i'll get it published soon it's actually time for quick fire questions so basically i'm going to ask you some quick fire questions okay you're going to tell me the first answer that comes to your mind are you ready yeah what's your favorite animal Favorite animal was a prairie dog, which is my mascot, and then the honey badger. Favorite place you've traveled to? Madagascar and Tel Aviv. Favorite food? Favorite food I ever had was probably something illegal I shouldn't have eaten. I had toucan, Cajun in the in um the jungle of Cameroon with pygmies. Wait, what is that? Toucan, you know the bird, toucan. Oh Sam. my God, like I the had bird? toucan in the jungle with the pygmies when I lived with the pygmies for two weeks in Cameroon. 
Okay. I thought you said two so, cans, and I was like, well, two cans of what? <laughs> but you yeah. said two can, a bird. A bird, two yeah. cans. Oh, my God. Poor bird. I mean, they're so pretty. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's a great answer. Uh, favorite singer or band? Um, probably favorite band is um, Bon Jovi. I liked him a lot when I was growing up in Survivor. Favorite movie or TV show? Goonies. Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Ron. You were great. Oh, thanks so much. Do thank you want you. to share, actually? One yeah. last question for you. Where can yep. people find you on social media? And if you want to give the title of your books and all of that, this is free advertisement for you. Yeah, so... My um, website is spectruminclusion.com. They can find me there. And then my books are Views from the Spectrum, A Window in Life and Faith, Your Neurodivergent Child. That's my newest book. And then my first book is Parents Guide to Autism, Practical Advice, Biblical Wisdom. And then my second book is Thought Choice, Action, and it's on Theology and St. Augustine. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again. And... Have a good night. Yeah, thanks. Bye.